welcome to another episode of that podcast. I am Dave. And I'm Bo. So what's the news this week, Bo? Oh, not a whole lot. Been um uh been looking at the fig list again lately. Uh, are you following that at all anymore? No, I haven't I haven't looked at all, to be honest. Yeah. It's been a, it's been pretty quiet lately, actually, but um I'm kind of getting anxious for PSR fifteen to get going. I think it's fifteen and seventeen are the two that I'm interested in, the the middleware and the factories uh proposals. Um and it seems like they're they've been pretty stable for probably I don't know, six months to a year. Um Dude, run the run the factories by me again. Oh, um, is this factories for requests and responses or something? Yep, yep, and streams. Right. Yep. Yeah. So they're kind of the missing pieces to make sure that people can can write more agnostic things, and it also means that um, since the the way the PSR fifteen has been going is that it's not going to pass the the response object in anymore. Um, okay. Um, one of the reasons that that's possible is that the uh, the factories exist as a thing uh, so that anyone can ask for a response object that's empty and fresh and brand new um, so that you so that you know that one of the big arguments for having uh, requests and response passed in was so that you sort of had a prototype object that you could use so that you didn't need to uh, instantiate a specific implementation of the response so they they're sort of related um, in in that sense. But um, so, uh, Rasmus Schultz um, started a discussion like a week or two ago on the the middleware in- interface that um, uh, there's a there's a delegate. I don't know if you if you remember much about PSR 15 or if you looked at it at all. But rather than the the next object being passed in as either an object or a callable um, that was just kind of fuzzy, um, the PSR 15 proposal talks about a delegate that basically is um, HTTP kernel interface. It takes a request and returns a response. So um, there's a specific interface that's designed just for that. And kind of where the, the discussion has gone on the list in the last week is that really what, what he's talking about is trying to get us to standardize a handler interface that is really just request in response out um, so that we can have that as a thing. And then the middleware implementation or the middleware uh, specification, instead of defining its own delegate interface, can just accept one of these handlers as um, its argument instead of coming up with a completely new concept that really is just a handler. Okay. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen with that. The, the idea of introducing yet another PSR before we can get PSR 15 done is kind of a little discouraging just because it's taken so long to get this one to go through. And also I was thinking about it more that that, this was something that's come up a number of times in the past that people don't really like to have the PSRs depend on each other. Um, But I'm not bringing that up on the mailing list just yet because I don't want that to become a a sticking point for anybody. But I'm I'm waiting to find out how long it takes before someone throws that into the works that they don't want PSR 15 to worry about that, even though PSR 15 is already depending on PSR 7. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, 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 I I did actually see some of what uh, Rasmus brought up. I was going to comment, but I couldn't be bothered. Yeah, because uh, I mean, they were they were talking about stack PHP at one point, and mm-hmm. pretty sure somebody said it was like a failure. And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I was going to jump in and say I was pretty sure like it did get adopted by a couple of fairly substantial projects. Yeah, uh, um, and I, I 
And I, but to be honest, I think I got a bit. I felt I could. I feel a bit of rant building up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, because we'd have, you know, yeah. So I just thought I'll stay away and ignore yeah. it. So yeah, I've been practicing that more and more, and this is the first time in a long time that I've let myself get just brought into a discussion. Um, part of it was because of our experience with Stack. Um, that you know the the the, the introduction email made it seem like it was bigger than it was. And I don't know if, if he's back down on some of his requirements or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it sounded like it was just going to make, just have a handler interface and then just build everything around that handler interface rather than having something that was specifically uh, the middleware. Some of the things that he talked about was having the the delegate rather than having that be passed on the, um, the actual uh, method signature to require that to somehow be set on the constructor. Um, because it's a dependency of the middleware instead of a dependence uh, runtime dependency at the time the middleware is executed, which, you know, I can sort of see those arguments, but that really goes back to what we had to do with stack with stack builder, where we had to come up with conventions that, you know, the first argument had to be a kernel (laughs) uh, to the constructor. And there was no way to enforce that, which on one hand was really nice. On the other hand, you know, that there's a lot of things that, that were difficult, like, um, uh, things like uh, using the container to actually build the middleware interfaces was more complicated because the container would have to know which of the the kernels to pass to which of these middleware as they were coming along. So anyway, anyway the, the, if, if you're interested in looking at uh, some of those kind of uh, interesting discussions happening around this um, get follow the fig list, I guess, or look at this particular post. Uh, but right now, it's it's come back to, uh, as far as I can tell, really just. Um, extracting the delegate interface out of the middleware proposal, uh, making it its own interface, uh, something like handler interface or something like that, um, and then having PSR 15 use that uh, rather than depending upon its own implementation or depending on its own abstraction that really is that it's going to have the same exact interface, just like HB kernel request in response out. Uh, so it's, it's been kind of fun to, to get into some of those sorts of discussions again, because it's been a while for me, at least for, uh, trying to engage in actual constructive work on the fig list. So it's good to see something happening there. Yeah, that's cool for you. I'm glad to be staying away and not partaking. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What's been, uh, what's been on your plate the last week or so? Oh, uh, all sorts of little things. Um, nothing too, too, too interesting to, to discuss, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had some... I, I can uh, some something I can say that um, I wasted time on um, our elastic stash, elastic search, sorry, log stash Kibana stack was uh, playing up somewhat. Um, it was weird. I think it was because we must have had some a significant. I think we keep logs for about sixty days, um, and each day I think there's like five million log lines or something. Um, and I th- but I think we must have had a few particular days where we were particularly busy because usually um, the, the the setup that I had the servers that were running it all handled those that amount of data sixty days you know worth of data fine and I could I had dashboards run up that obviously I could get all the data and so on and so forth but those dashboards stopped working and Elasticsearch can be quite difficult when things like that um, happen. Mm-hmm. And basically, I found out through the logs that it was running out of memory to do aggregate something. Um, 
and it's weird elastic search you can you can tell it when it starts up uh, how much heap to re- to take up um and it re- the recommendations are to make available a half of the system's ram to elastic search which is quite interesting because you know it's for something that uses so much memory you just assume you know, give it all, give it all the memory. You know, yeah. that's what I do with Apache. You know, I'd give it as much memory as mm-hmm. I can afford to spare. But they recommend that you only give Elasticsearch half of the available memory because because there's so much data stored on the disks, and because they they index the data, they do loads of operations on it, and then store it on the disk in that processed way. So it's kind of like um like um. A, a, a projection in your mm. event sourcing type thing that they rely on the speed of the operating system caching the disk, the data in its caches. So rather than having to read from the disk all the time, mm-hmm. but but they let the the operating system do that. So it's kind of they kind of say, give us half of the RAM, and we'll use that as the heap for the actual application, and then the rest of the RAM leave to the operating system to manage so it can cache data coming in uh, coming in from the disks to us so uh, hmm. so I, I i read through all of this and then i went to have a look at the configuration and found out that i'd been through all of this before <laughs> <laughs> and i had it pretty much configured as well as it was going to get uh, so yeah i wasted quite a lot of time on that and ended up just doubling the size of all of the uh ec2 instances that we run it on uh hmm. Costing us a grand total of $150 a month or something. So it was a no brainer. Mm-hmm. I just wish I'd just done that in the first place. I wish I'd been lazy, basically, I'd, yeah. and just gone with my intuition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You, you can look behind me, and um, I know that I had talked to you about me doing a green screen, exp- experimenting with that a bit. And as you can tell uh, behind me right now, there is no more green screen uh, that had been there last week. Uh, uh, then you say, I thought you had green screened in to your video a blank <laughs> wall. <laughs> I wish that were the case. Uh, Beck's laughing at me a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I know a little bit about spending a lot of time on something and then realizing that maybe just a, a blank wall behind you would be would be good enough. Um, this this piece right here that you see is the part that I have the most trouble with. because It's not actually a full blank wall. Uh, there's this weird little like divot out of it. And I just thought it'd be easy to do this other thing. And it's, it was not easy. And I, I didn't really assume it would be super easy, uh, but I thought that it would be manageable and something that I could do. Um, and there's just too many, too many things going on right now that I don't need to spend any time uh, dealing with that. So I'm going to try and make it, make a go of it without for right now. Uh, this is all, this is all related to me moving to the basement. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that on, on the last episode or the previous, but Beck and I have swapped spaces for whatever reason. Uh, when we moved into this place in October, um, we decided I'd be upstairs and I had my own little office. Um, and she was going to have all of the downstairs for her studio. Uh, but between the spiders and the fact that it's pretty dreary down here, uh, we finally decided that she would go upstairs. So now she has her own painting studio upstairs and I'm, I've been slowly trying to move in down here. Um, and it's starting to, it's starting to really come together, but it's just taken a while to, to move everything around as, as you mm. might imagine. So do you have any windows down there? I don't. <laughs> Do you have a sad light? Um, actually, that's um, 
No, I don't have one. I think there's one behind me over here that, that we have, but uh, we kind of want to put that on or find some different lighting. I've, I've actually been wanting to get more lighting going on uh, than just being actually in the dark. Um, but the, the lights that are just like natively installed on here are pretty poor. Uh, they're yellow and small and weird. So I've yeah. been uh, getting a bunch of different lighting uh, things in place so that I have something. But I don't think I have I've put any thought into actually like sad lighting or anything like that. I just wonder did it be yeah i mean so that's that's the, the how, how are they different are they like the right temperature or it's supposed to be like the sun isn't it do, yeah do, i don't know what what's sad syndrome what does the, the is sad syndrome what does sad stand for uh, it's a season, seasonal attenuation something yeah, disorder it, yeah um, but so, I know that the the lighting, especially, I can't remember what, what it does. If it's just the the temperature of the lighting, or um, or what, like because there's in this process, I've like looked at like lighting uh, ways to light green screens and like people on camera and things like that. And there's a lot about like color temperature, like daylight temperatures. Um, I think are like sixty five thousand something or another, whatever that unit is. Um, that that if unless you have that, you're not getting like full daylight um, colors. Yeah, but. Yeah, I, I, when I lived in um, Seattle, um, that was something that a lot of people talked about because Seattle's pretty well known for um, uh, being, dreary. Being, yeah, being dreary and rainy all the time. So that was something that a lot of people talked about there was getting uh, proper lighting to make sure that you know, they don't they don't get upset and <laughs> yeah. do some bad things. Yeah, I can see. I I, need, I always feel like I need more plants in my office. I've got um, a single. Um, Single, I'll show you. It's not even real. It's actually plastic from Ikea. It cost me three pounds or something. <laughs> uh, nice. And that's that's all I have. That, I feel like, I quite often feel like I need more greenery in my office. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, but I sit right under a, a you know, a, I'm, in the, I'm in the roof effectively, uh, mm-hmm. in the loft, so I've got a proper a light right above me. So I oh, okay. get plenty of daylight in. Uh, oh, know, that's pretty nice. More greenery. But the thing is, because it's um, above my head, I can't see out and see mm. scenery. I don't have that sort of nice yeah. thing. I get plenty of light, but I don't really see the outside very much. I can see clouds at the minute, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the the other part of uh, moving down here was that I got myself a standing desk, a sit-stand desk, finally. Um, and I've been really excited with it. Uh, the only problems that I have so far is that it's wobbly um, and not wobbly in the sense that it feels unstable, but like if it doesn't take much, you know, my typing uh, will make like the, the new monitor arms that I have move for both, mm. both of the monitors, uh, both the monitor and the, the keyboard or not the keyboard, the laptop rather. It's got a keyboard of course, but anyway, uh, like as I'm sitting here typing on it, you know, if I, if I start getting into a rhythm pretty soon, I notice everything is bouncing a little bit. Yeah. Um, same thing with the, the the um, monitor stand, no, the microphone stand that I have, um, it'll start moving around too. So, um, see, I don't, <laughs> go ahead. See, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and make a guess that uh, you've been keeping your new setup fairly clean and tidy. See, now I have so much clutter that mm. I say there's a good amount of weight on my desk. So yeah. there's so much weight that it doesn't wobble. Yeah, <laughs> one so, benefit. Yeah, it's possible that's that's part of it. I think. Um, one of the, the theories that I have is that it's on carpet. 
um, and that there's enough give that uh, and, and enough weight that it there's enough weight that it actually moves around um, pretty easily on, even on the carpet, but not enough weight that it it doesn't move. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, and I know that the last time I had a desk in in a basement with this much carpet, um, I actually put like a, a big sheet of MDF or you know like particle board board that was like three quarters inch thick um, on the floor. Well, there's a big piece of wood basically um, that might have stabilized it a little bit. I'm not quite sure. Uh, That's the only thing that I've, I'm disappointed with so far. Otherwise, I've been pretty happy. Um, even the 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 transition from sitting to standing, part of me was worried that I was going to just put it in standing and stay standing for like a month at a time and then put it in sitting and leave it there for like nine months. I'd be like, well, why did I buy a sit-stand desk? Um, but I've, I found that I'm actually being regulated pretty well. Um, I'm probably uh, switching between sit and stand maybe like a dozen times throughout the day um, where like I can like tell my body is is feeling weird in one of the positions. So then I'm switching. So I've been I've been really excited that that hasn't like worn off the novelty yet. Um, so yeah, I, I know that there've been a, a couple of people who've talked about their sit stand uh, solutions in the past. So I'm pretty excited that, you know, I finally was able to uh, commit to get, making this thing happen. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So, so you're changing how, how, what sort of ratio do you think you're doing per day sit to stand ratio? Um, I'm actually standing more, I think. Um, because I, I just don't feel comfortable sitting for long periods of time anymore. And that's something that, you know, I was having a lot of problems with, I think, before I finally was able to do this. Um, that you know, just part of the reason that I haven't wanted to, like, do a lot of code things is I just wasn't comfortable sitting anymore. So I've been definitely spending a, a lot more time standing Um uh, I did start going to the gym again, and by that I mean literally last night was the first time I went to the gym again, um, and and have noticed that uh, since I was working out on my my leg muscles, <laughs> I've been sitting more today than I have uh, <laughs> uh, before. But um, yeah, so I, I I could tell that I'm doing mostly standing, uh, but it is nice to be able to just take a break for like you know even like 20 minutes to sit, uh, just to take a little break. And by that point time, I'm uncomfortable enough sitting that I'm ready to stand up again and everything's good to go. So yeah, it's been it's been really nice. I've been pretty happy with it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned on the last uh, episode, at the end there, we um, Rebecca and I have been getting a bit healthier. We've. Mm-hmm. So it's literally seven weeks now. We've been doing. Um, we picked. I picked up a recipe book. Um, it's really popular in the UK. I don't know how it does uh, globally, but then the chap's called Joe Wicks. Uh, he's known as the Body Coach, and he got started on Instagram. It's kind of cool. He's he's a really good uh, success story. He's a he was a personal trainer, um, and he was he was experiment. He he's like he experiments a lot with his food, and he seems to have a good eye for making up recipes uh, as far as I know he doesn't have any nutrition qualifications or anything like that uh, and what he did was he started posting uh, videos of recipes on Instagram um, and it's one of these ones where you know where they cut really quickly like the the camera's pointing down at the frying pan and he's mm-hmm. throwing the ingredients in and he's kind of got this cheeky chappy southern accent um, I mean it probably also helps that he's tremendously good looking and you <laughs> yeah. know Greek Adonis like physique mm-hmm. uh, but yeah he's shot to fame uh, he's got books he's got videos he's on TV uh, so yeah so I got his I got the first book from him Lean in 15 it's all about 
most of the recipes are done in 15 minutes. Sometimes it takes longer. Some some recipes are longer recipes. Some recipes take a bit longer because you cook. I'm usually cooking for two of us. Uh, so, you know, it's harder to fry off some meatballs in a frying pan when there's double the amount mm-hmm. and, you know, that kind of thing. But it's hard in that. Um, there's a lot of fresh food to prepare it's expensive because it uses a lot of fresh food fresh ingredients fresh everything um, but yeah it's been working great we've been enjoying it um, we've also been doing like a training regime cool. uh, as as he recommends uh, doing some of his workouts but also mixing some of our own stuff in as well mm-hmm. uh, so yeah we're both feeling fit and uh, I've lost a bit of weight Rebecca's uh, stayed about the same but she don't really need to lose weight she just wants to be fitter and stronger which is fine mm-hmm. um, we've just started on to sort of the second phase so we've, we've changed recipe books now uh, we're going to be doing a lot more uh, lifting of weights than we were before so we were previously on what was called the, the shift part where you're trying to shift a bit of weight mm-hmm. now we're trying to shape ourselves a bit so we're actually eating a lot more carbohydrates than we were um, on training days so previously mm-hmm. on, on training days we were allowed one meal that was sort of carbohydrate rich uh, and all the other meals were sort of reduced carbohydrates mm. now on training days we're, we're allowed we eat carb rich meals all day um, which mm. is nice uh, it's good because uh, all the food is pretty good and it's filling and stuff like that so cool. uh, yeah awesome yeah I'm, re- I'm just enjoying it I'm feeling quite mm-hmm. healthy um, like I say it's one of those things that's a bit hard work sometimes but mm-hmm. yeah it, to be honest uh, just doing it with Rebecca is what's kept me going because we you know we're doing every, we do it all together we apart from sometimes we go our separate ways with workouts because um, she goes to Pilates on a Tuesday so she's doing that um, as her exercise for the day so I'll work out at home on my own but otherwise we do all of the workouts together we're doing eating together because she's at home, I'm at home all the time. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it, having the two of us doing it together, keeping it, not keeping each other in check, but just helping each other out, goading each other on. It's really, really cool. Cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm happy. I will keep on reporting and see how long we can keep it up for. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, technology-wise, um I've been seeing some more of the Symphony 3.3 stuff dropping. Um, and actually, I just got an email notification that I think they just cut RC1 of Symphony yeah, 3.3. I got, I got, yeah, I got the same email. I'm on, I'm on whatever list that is. Yeah. And the um, uh, something that dropped just a little bit ago, let's, um, looks like May 4th, um, was a, um, a new um, service locator for Symphony 3.3, uh, which I thought was actually pretty interesting because... Um, and I'd heard some people talking about this using like PSR seven, and basically, instead of injecting the whole container and treating the whole container as a service locator, this is a specific implementation that um, allows you to create one-off service locators that contain just the services that you might be interested in. Um, and the example in the blog post uh, was about command handlers and being able to create a uh, service locator that just contains the uh, command handlers by class name. Um, so the the idea being that the command bus uh, would have the, the handler locator, which is really a service locator implementation passed in that you could ask to see if that class exists um, inside the container before it's actually instantiated. And then you can actually get the handler out of the container. So it's uh, 
you know, people talk about service locator and dependency injection and all these different um, things happening. And this is the first time I've seen like a first class service locator being treated as an actual service locator. It's actually an implementation of dependency injection slash service locator, uh, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool. Of course, there are a bunch of people that, that are going to jump on this and say that if you need a service locator, you're doing it wrong or you know uh, something along those lines. But in these specific cases, like what they're talking about here, it actually seems to make a lot of sense. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that sounds good to me. I mean, I think we've, I, I remember since you call that being discussed for quite some time, uh, to be able to sort of say, I want a subset of the container, mm-hmm. basically. You know, I mean, I think I, I remember people talking about it by tag, you know, yeah. if something's tagged with something, could yep. we have all the things that are tagged by it mm-hmm. and create yeah. a container of that those things, you know? Because, yep. um, yeah, yeah I mean, you see it all the time, don't you? You know, we like you, you'll use the container as a service locator, when really you, you're only really interested in getting one specific type of something. Yeah, and because exactly. It's, cause you, and usually because it, that decision needs to be made at runtime. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a perfectly valid thing to do, and I, yeah. I like the idea. So I don't know if this will allow people to do exactly the kind of thing you're talking about, or if this is like a one of those stepping stone things where this is in the system now, now we can enhance this to be used in different cases. Mm. Um, but yeah, it sounds like something that at least some of the core core member core team members are excited about because it does make certain things more simple if you are dealing with like just a subset, and so you have a PSR seven implementation that just has has and get. Uh, that, that will let you use it for these runtime decisions like like you're talking about. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but it's one of those things where if you're not really looking for it, I can imagine seeing this come down, you'd be like, why are we talking about service adding service locators <laughs> uh, to yeah. Symphony? That's not really it's going the wrong direction or whatever, but it was pretty cool to see this happen. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think that Fabian's probably posted more in the Symphony Flex stuff. I don't know if, if you followed up on that. Or maybe he hasn't. I know he was away for a while. Uh, if he has, I haven't noticed it. Uh, mm-hmm. But to be honest, I've been a bit... I still like enjoy looking at Twitter, but I don't... I've not been, you know, trying to keep up with it as such. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just... I don't know. It just seems like... I, I don't have time for that at the minute. Yeah. I'm not, maybe it's not. No, I probably do have time. I'm just not that interested at the minute. So he might have posted something and I've just yeah. missed it. It looks, it looks like he hasn't. I know that he was on a, a pretty good streak there for a little while. Um, and there, there was actually quite a bit of buzz about it. So um, since I hadn't seen any buzz, I wasn't sure if he had actually posted anymore. It looks like it's still just the uh, the quick demo thing with the little, little screencast. Um, but I think that with Symphony 3.3, you know, being imminent, I think that more people are probably going to be introduced to that. Um, some of these newer ideas and some of these newer features, and there's probably going to be a lot of buzz around it. And you know, both both positive and negative. Um, but hopefully, that'll be be out pretty soon. So, um, one of the things I was going to bring back up uh, was the Zenbot, the automated trading for Bitcoin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and. It was interesting because, unfortunately for me, do you know there was a little crash with Bitcoin uh, maybe two months ago, one month ago? Um, yeah, I, I'm vaguely aware of the, the ups yeah. and downs. I don't fully understand it, but my understanding is something like, um, something to do with the Winklevoss brothers or something. They were they were trying to get in Wall Street, uh, is it an ETF? Is that that sound like the right thing? An, uh, e- an ETF based that tracked 
Bitcoin or whatever. Mm. So it's something you could trade that was linked to Bitcoin price or something okay. like that. Mm-hmm. And they got rejected and that caused a massive drop in the price. Mm. Now, in theory, I was hoping that the, the automated trading bot would notice the drop in price, do something about it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I only ever set the automated trading bot to run on my desktop uh, machine at home and it missed all of that. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if it had crashed or what, but I was running it in Docker as well, which mm-hmm. is you know, so enough said, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I was actually in an in position when I started it back up and the price was ridiculously low compared to when I'd bought in. Mm-hmm. So it sat there not doing anything for ages. Um, and I'm sure I could probably treat it to be more risky, you know, mm-hmm. so not so not to really care about a return on investment in the long run, but just try and trade, you know, throughout the day or something, yeah. do proper day trading or something. Mm-hmm. But as it comes out of the box, most of it's set up for a sort of longer term thing right. and it will... Um, It'll manage buys and sells in that with a sort of longer term strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. So for a long time, I mean, Bitcoin the price has risen back up and beyond to where it was now. And um, but for so long, the bot sat there not doing anything because I'd bought in at whatever, I don't know a thousand pounds or something, and it was down at eight hundred mm-hmm. or some. The price is down eight hundred pounds. Yeah. Um. But then it started doing a few bits of bobs just before the last episode, but I didn't really get a chance to look to see what it was doing before the last episode. And I've had a look now, and to be honest, I still don't understand. Um, it uses something called RSI, which is like a, a measurement of how the price is trending, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and I saw one of the issues on the, the GitHub repo is that it depends on which way you look at this RSI thing. Like if you're trying to increase your Bitcoin holdings, you want to buy when RSI is going down. But if you want to, you're trying to increase your uh, currency, your normal currency, your, like my pounds or your dollars, you'd buy when RSI is going up. Or hmm. and I don't really know which I want to do because uh, I'm just experimenting and playing. So yeah. So yeah. So at the minute, it's not a lot to report. I've, mm-hmm. I've made a few tweaks to try and get it to be a little bit more risky without it being silly because mm-hmm. I don't want it to just go crazy and yeah. lose all my money. Mm-hmm. But you can you can run a simulation on backfill of data. So every time you make a tweak, you could run it to see how it would have performed over the, however much data you've actually collected yourself. Mm-hmm. So the latest one I did had a really good return on investment. However, that isn't necessarily... Uh, that clear anyway because it'll tell you that the the return on investment is 1.33 or something Mm -hmm. Uh, but then if I just (coughs) bought the Bitcoin at the start of the the data that I have and left it the return would have been more than that anyway Hmm. because of the price the Bitcoin's at now if that makes sense it's really hard to understand and tell and I don't Mm -hmm. I think I don't really know how well this is going to work, but I'll keep. I'm just going to keep it running, and then if it does anything interesting, I'll I'll be sure to talk about it on the show. Okay, yeah, it sounds it sounds a little bit like the the unknowns that I was looking at with the the drop uh, drop catching with the domains that I was looking at, where I didn't really know what was going on. Uh, I got a little bit of feedback from you because because you actually do that stuff for UK domains, um, but 
I don't think we talked about it last year on any of the episodes, but I had let uh, BoSimonson.com expire. And of course, somebody registered it and put porn on it for like three months and then it went somewhere else and it had some other random stuff on it. Um, you know, just some people trying to see if they could get some money from it. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't decide to renew it again. So I decided to try and catch it and I didn't really want to risk somebody else getting it again or waiting too long. Uh, so I kind of poked around with you asking for some tips on doing some of that and try to understand, you know, when is it actually going to be ready for renewal? Who could actually renew it? How quickly? Um, you know, you were talking about your, your numbers for yours. It was what, uh, even if you're checking every 30 milliseconds, somebody else could register it six times over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, um, so when when I see a domain become available, um, I know my, my system can send off the registration request and get a reply within two to three milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if you're checking, you know, we have quotas in the UK and over the course of the day, the most you can check is if you're going to run for a full 24 hours, it's five times a second. So there is so much room for everybody, all the other catchers while you're in your downtime or you, while your connection has been throttled, you know, there's mm-hmm. room for everybody to do hundreds of times, if you like, uh, yeah. to register the domain. So it's really competitive uh, mm-hmm. for the UK. I don't know how it works for the dot coms or, or a lot of the other domains, to be honest. Uh, I, I have a reasonable understanding for the dot IO because I've been looking at those recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting one. The .io, you can back order with the regist uh, with the with the actual registrar, not, not the registrar, the or, uh, whatever they're called. You know, the, the company the, run the domain, yeah, the, the, top, the TLD. Yeah, they own the TLD. Yeah, they run the TLD. So you can pay. I think it's like a hundred dollars or something. Uh, but then, if the person renews it, you don't get your hundred dollars back. Mm. Okay, so then there's another company that um, that they do do drop catching, but it's also a hundred dollars. But I don't know how successful they are in compared to if you mm. do a back order with the yeah. The, the, so I don't know how it all works, and I, I only have a better understanding than I do with dot com, basically. So. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I think the um, well, as I understood it, maybe this is totally wrong. I thought that the the registrar. The the main registrar for the .io domains is its own registrar, like Nick.io. I I thought they were the ones that actually like facilitate it, whatever whatever that is called when they're the owner of the TLD. Uh, but they're also the registrar. So I sometimes forget that, at least in that case. Yeah. I've, I've had to work with them directly a, a number of times to get some .io domains. Yeah, I think the, I think quite um, Nominate do the same though. You can register mm-hmm. domains directly with Nominate, or you used mm-hmm. to be able to, uh, yeah. but you used to pay. Like four times the usual price, I think. Yeah, and it's it's kind of blurry when they start doing that because uh, who are they? Who are they working for? Or you know what what are their goals or or yeah. whatever? Um, but yeah, that's cool. So you're you're looking at into the .io domains now as well. Um, not so much. I was just mm. browsing really, just because of Park.io, the really successful uh, mm-hmm. domain catching site. And they catch a lot of .io domains. Uh, and, the, you know, they're making hundreds of thousands a month uh, yeah. doing this. They catch them and then auction them as well if multiple people are interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just sort of trying to get an eye for how they're doing it. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe one day I might look at doing it for some other TLDs. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. I mean, uh, there's so many new 
TLDs as well. It's hard to keep track of them all. I mean, I do know. I mean, I looked at the dot XYZ or XYZ uh, domains, and have you, have you seen how expensive they are? Because there's loads of awesome domains available. Uh, like, but you know, it'd be ten thousand pounds to register care dot XYZ. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so that's why they're available. But, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like you say, just keeping an eye on those kinds of things and trying to mm-hmm. keep my head head in the game might be an opportunity for me there to apply the experience I've already got with dot dot uk domains somewhere else. Yeah. But the good news is you got both Simonson, both Simonson dot com, didn't you? Yep, yep. I ended up going. Um, I think you recommended a couple of the. Uh, the commercial drop catching solutions, and I registered with a number of them. I think maybe three, um, and one of them got it. So I was pretty pretty happy about that. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, just th- that whole process of learning about even what that was. You know, I started like actually talking to different places to see what their APIs look like and what their limits were. And yeah, that's um, unless you have like millions of dollars it's would be really hard to get into anything really reasonable um to you know try to try to do that on your own so i i don't know if it would have been possible for me to get com without actually going to one of these other places especially in at least in the .com arena yeah um, yeah but, i think that was a wise move yeah. especially at short notice yeah yeah so um I don't know if I think we could probably try to keep this one short too. Um, looks like we've been going for about thirty minutes. Um, yep. Yeah, it's um, it's almost school season. Like school season's almost out for us. We're gonna have a, a long summer break. Um, I think that that's different in the UK, right? You you have less. You have more breaks, just smaller, right? Yeah, we um, we'll be breaking up for half term. Uh, you know, just over a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but they only have um, a week off, and then there'll be another six or seven weeks until the summer te- summer break. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to be done here in like a week and a half. So right around the time you're breaking for half term, um, and then he won't have to go back to school until mid August. So right. we we get a, a really lengthy summer break. So it's probably going to change a lot of things for us uh, as far as where we'll be and what we're doing. So I'll probably be sharing those along the way. Um, now, are you are you doing any anything different during the summertime than you normally would for your schedule? Nope, just we'll be going camping a lot. In fact, we're going camping at half term. We're going for a couple of nights with my best friend. Uh, cool. So yeah, so that's all we've got planned for the summer, and nothing else as far as I, I'm aware. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, unless you have anything more, nope. Save it for the next time. All right. Sounds good. We'll call this one a wrap. Thanks, folks. You've been listening to that podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com. 
spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. 